Rishi Saxena and this is Real Lives, Real People. On this episode, I speak to my hometown gal, Alex Agee. She's a D1 tennis athlete at Loyola, and we talk about her tennis journey, the dynamics of a team, and many lessons learned from it. We also explore confidence, vulnerability, forgiveness, and more. I'm so excited for you all to listen, and I'm so happy to have Alex on this episode. She has been one of my bestest friends for so many years now, and I've always been inspired by her radiating energy and her ability to achieve great goals. So let's get into it. Hey, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Arushi. I'm doing pretty well. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. And I guess we can just get started with how we met in high school. Well, I guess one thing, I know we talked about this before um, we started the podcast, but like just kind of Arushi, for anyone who doesn't know that Arushi and I are actually friends and we've been friends for eight years now. And I consider her one of the closest people to me outside of my family. And I hope it's the same for you. I hope it's mutual (laughs) for you as well. No, it definitely is. Um... It's really funny because we always talk about how, like, we're, we were so different, and we still are so, so different, um, and, like, how did we become friends out of all people? Yeah, yeah, I know, it's so, it is so weird because we both have different interests, different backgrounds, different cultures, um, there is really <laughs> nothing that is, like, <laughs> Oh, we both share, but I think that one thing that we both share as people is that we're both honest, we're both loyal, and we're both empathetic towards each other. And I think that that really goes a long way. We both have open minds. And I know that when I choose my friends or who people I want to call my friends, that it is something that is like, it's a process, you know, to get to that point where you're comfortable with that person. But when you you also trust that person as well. And I think our friendship together has been kind of like a growth experience when you think about it, because we have experienced different life moments and milestones together. And you've always Mm -hmm. been there for me every step of the way. And like, I'll go like, I am not the best at like contacting, hitting people up. But even if I'm not, even if we don't like necessarily speak every single day, I know that yeah. if I call you, you're there for me. And when we come back to see each other, that's the test of a good friendship that when we come back to see each other in person, it's like nothing ever changed. Like, yeah, exactly. it's it's never like any theatrics when you pick me up or anything. <laughs> it's just like, oh, hey, what's up? What are we doing today? And like, well, I tell you, song I found. Yeah. yeah, it's like we just saw each other yesterday, essentially. Yeah, that's so true. And like, honestly, we in college like we're pretty busy too so we don't talk too often right yeah I I think um, I talk to you when I have something like crazy to tell you but um mm-hmm. yeah we don't talk to and we're also very busy and involved people on our college campuses too so yeah. if I have one thing and I have some free time then you have like call a car or something going on so it's, yeah. it's like a trade off of like trying to find out the right time because we're not just the people who just go to class and come back. For sure. Yeah. Sometimes I'm really, I really wonder how much time I actually spend in my apartment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me, none. <laughs> um, but yeah, we met our freshman year of high school through classes. And then all of a sudden, I think. You invited me to your house to study chemistry and we ordered pizza and from there we were best friends. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Pizza Hut pizza that brought us together, you know, and I remember, I remember that's when I found out you didn't eat like certain types of meat because I was like, because remember I ordered like pepperoni too and like, I think you just picked it off. I don't know because I wasn't sure. I definitely, I definitely (laughs) didn't pick it off. I don't do picking off meats because it's already touched it. That's true. We might have just ordered cheese. I don't know. But that's when I figured, that's when I first found out that you didn't eat, like, uh, pork. and. Yeah, it's so funny because, like, 
we'll literally hang out at each other's houses um, when we see each other. Like, we don't have to do anything special together. And it's always, like, the best time ever. Right. Um, and I feel like I know your family so well, too. And, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think also, because we can do things that I don't... I feel like anytime we do things together, also, it's, like, things that I didn't think of necessarily to do by myself. And that also, like, brings, like, new, fresh light to it but we can also turn up together too because I I'm a little <laughs> bit more of a wild child than you but um definitely way more but um we have like had our nights out so I think that's cool as well yeah this has been fun I hope we can get back to that eventually <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely definitely yeah so Alex went off to college in Maryland um went up north from all of us here in Georgia <laughs> And decided to go play tennis at Loyola. So, um, yeah, how does tennis? How has tennis played into your identity all these years? I think well, one thing about one thing about any competitive athlete is that you kind of start putting things into perspective at a younger age, or maybe thinking about things that other people wouldn't. Um, tennis is a extreme mental sport because you're out there alone. And it's kind of all on you. And it feels a lot like life where you're kind of like fighting to like win. And sometimes you have those losses, but you can't take those losses too hard. Um, Yeah. So some of the things that I've like personally feel like I developed a lot was just my sense of one, my sense of like, okay, when you put your mind, when you put work behind something, you actually get results and those results show. But also, like, how to handle when you get pushed back down, how to get right back up. Because that is, I think that's one of the key goals of, like, any athletic sport. But especially with sports where you're not in a team, you can't really, on a team setting, you can kind of fall back into the distance, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to have your best game and your team can still capitalize on a win. And in tennis, you can't do that. If you don't have your best game, you have to be adaptable um, that day. So it taught me a lot about how to be adaptable, how to be resourceful in the moment and not wait for things to be over because you only have a finite time to do things. Um, Yeah. And I think for me, especially that my just drive, my pure, okay, manifest, let's do this let's what's the next step always thinking about the moment but also the next step and strategically doing it in a way that is very um personal to me has allowed me to like elevate my mindset in other situations as well that I'm always looking I'm not afraid of competition I want to be a fair competitor and I want to have people that are going to push me and I think that's really, I feel like, especially when you're younger, you want things the easy way. And that's yeah. not how life works. You just have to go through those struggles. You have to push through it. You have to, when you hit that wall, you got to figure out, how am I going to get past this wall? And if you don't have any tools, if you don't have any necessarily like to chip away at, chip away at it, okay, how am I, how am I going to climb it? How am I going to go over it, around it? How am I going to go through it? Because mm-hmm. that. I feel like that is just one of the key lessons that's like ingrained into my personality is like my drive, my determination, um, my ability to, okay, if I, if I do something and I feel like I made a mistake or I feel like I'm not at my best, what's the next step so I can be? Yeah, I definitely agree with you, especially on the point that, you know, like solo sports, I guess, are very mental like you know like your mental state is super important in terms of your game like that's going to affect you so much um because you know I played golf in high school and like my mental state was also like very impactful on my game like how I was going to play that day Mm -hmm. um so if I wasn't like confident in myself or something like I wasn't going to play as well as I would have I was. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say that a lot of it is kind of like this fear of failure. And a lot of great athletes will talk about this, but that fear 
those limits that you place upon yourself, those are all illusions. They're not actually what is reality. When you walk onto the court and you automatically just think you you think that you're going to lose, most likely you're going to lose. If you get to a big point or my coach used to call it the business end of the set where you're close to winning, but you're afraid that you're going to do something to mess it up, you're going to lose. So Mm -hmm. eradicating that fear from your mind, as well as um, just understanding why, why you have the fear in the first place, because I think that's getting down to the root of who you are. Um, understanding yourself, understanding yourself in each moment so that if you are afraid, if you are feel like there's a limit to what you're doing, that you understand that that is, that's a common fear. That's a common thing, but it's not necessarily necessarily a rational thing. Um, So one thing that I have learned through all my experiences is that I can't be afraid. I can't operate on that low level baseline. I call it when you operate on fear, when you offer operate on these emotions that keep you, keep you suppressed in whatever way, whether it's anger or fear or hate or anything that you're not able to manifest and kind of produce the person you want to be. Um, I think when a lot of people talk about manifestation as well, is that it's a process of like actually believing, actually being consistent and recognizing yourself. A lot of people don't understand what they want, who they are as a person. And over the last six years, especially, I've gone into my meditations, my reflections, my prayer with God, my relationship with God to understand who I am as a person, who I want to be. As, and also understanding what I feel in the moment. What are things I can improve upon? Why am I like this? Why am I not like this? And it's not like a scrutiny. Like, I don't want to say it's scrutinization. It's more mm-hmm. of just like the discovery process. Being uncomfortable with, being comfortable with the things that make you uncomfortable. And yeah. then being able to turn that energy into something positive so that you're able to, I keep saying this, but you're able to really think outside what you have normally been thinking of. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with the whole being being comfortable with the uncomfortable and like putting yourself out of your comfort zone. I think that's like truly one of the main things that allows a person to grow as an individual in Mm -hmm. like any aspect of life. Um, And it's something I think like a lot of people I know and per- and me too, like can relate to, um, once you do go through that, like it, you can definitely kind of see it play a factor. Right. In things. Right. So how do you, um, prep for a tennis match or a tournament, like mentally, how do you mentally prepare before a game? Um, so this has changed a lot over the years. Honestly, when I was younger, I didn't do any mental prep and it showed, Um, I think it, I think especially when I was younger that I was already a person who was dedicated to the game. I used to fight my way even when I didn't have necessarily the best strokes. That's another thing. I wasn't necessarily, oh my God, her strokes are so beautiful. But one thing people could say about me was that I was a fighter and um, Mm -hmm. I, I worked hard and I, I thought that that was going to be the results but when I was younger I struggled a lot with fear of failing because that I just didn't want to be wrong I didn't want to mess up and I think as I got older I started to realize that it's about the process it's not you have to focus especially um, on the one one point at a time so some of the things that I do now for prep is that I write to myself Um, I think writing is a way to focus on introspection One of the things that has really elevated my game and allowed me to play more confidently is actually um, um, being seen by a therapist, understanding Mm -hmm. different parts of my life and how that comes out onto the court. Because a lot of people think that when you're on the court, yes, that's the only thing you should be focused on. 
but a lot of your personality comes out when you're in a high-level competition, such as collegiate tennis, professional, even or either high-level high school. A lot of that comes out when you're stepping on the court, the field, wherever you are. So I think um, understanding myself better, um, some of the quick things I do just in the match or like do a mental check-in before the match is like, I I might pray, I might um, meditate, I might try to uh, drink lots of water and think about kind of like my strategic plan. Whatever I do, it's trying to center myself so that I'm in the best mindset. And I think the toughest part for me, especially in any match, is when I get close to winning, when you're almost there. Um mm-hmm. Because that's when you start thinking about, well, for me, not necessarily everybody, but for me, I start thinking about all the different possibilities. And I know that losing is a possibility and winning is a possibility. But that's when you kind of have to even slow yourself down more and be like, Alex, you got to stay in the moment right now. Like, especially in collegiate tennis, because you're playing for more than yourself, but you got to stay grounded in who you are right now. You got to stay in a place where... Um, you're able to play your game still. So like taking, I call it uh, taking deep breaths um, at the back of the court, thinking about just one point. Um, if I, I'm going to do a serve out wide, then I'm going to come in. Or thinking more about the details instead of the bigger picture allows you to move forward in that process of trying to close out a match and try to secure that win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many times have you played a match where towards the end of it, that fear of failure came into place again? So I think actually it's happened to me a lot. And um, two collegiate matches that stick out to me are the match against George Mason and the match against Johns Hopkins University. Hmm. Um, And both of those matches... I felt like, well, one of those matches, it was significantly longer than a lot of my matches I played. So I was struggling kind of with the mental aspect of like cramping at the end of the match, um, different body things, having stamina. But I was up 3-0 in the second set, which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, in the third set, I mean. Um, So I think for me, it was kind of like two mental hurdles, like the mental hurdle of I really want to win this match for my team, but I also like I'm struggling right now and like recognizing I'm I'm struggling. Like there are some things that I'm not doing well, um, and I think that I was a little bit too fragile, I guess, in my approach. The biggest thing for me is that I, for whatever reason. I feel like when it comes down to the end of the match, it's hard for me to take risk. And that's something that I have to get over for sure. And I think when you take calculated risk that you receive a way bigger and better reward, instead of just waiting for something to happen, I was playing well, I was coming in, I was doing the right things, but I wasn't doing, doing it consistently enough. And that allowed for um, my opponent to creep back into the match when I didn't necessarily, she didn't need to. Like putting in that leeway kind of, my mom used to say this, but you kind of have to put your gas, your foot on the gas at the end, or, you know, you gotta, it's time to make the deal. It's time to complete it. And Mm -hmm. what I've learned from that experience is that for anything that I want to do, that it's going to be a tough process. Everything is right. a tough process. But towards the end, especially when you start trying to make your dreams happen, I feel like there's always that one obstacle that seems a little bit daunting. But you got to take it at the head, honestly, and you got to go for it, even when it seems uncomfortable, unnecessary, or, you know, scary. I mean, sometimes it is scary. But getting over that level of fear and anxiety and really knowing who you are so that you know that it's going to be a success. And that's um, that's what I really took away from it. Yeah. 
Makes sense. What's been like one match that you've that you're super proud of? I think when I'm I played a match in the fall um, against like one of George Mason's. I play George Mason a lot. I have no idea. Why. <laughs> I played a, a match in the fall um, against one of George Mason's like um, tougher opponent, like uh, t- top players. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was definitely a tough opponent. But the way I was playing that match from start to finish, I just immediately was on as soon as the match started. I I think I had this level of confidence about me that I didn't have before. And that really allowed me to like succeed, close it out, even though it was close, especially in the first set and Mm -hmm. um, win. And I just remember walking out the court like, wow, I just did that. And it felt good. It felt really good. There, I don't. I think a lot of athletes understand that that is nothing better in this world, honestly, than that adrenaline, that that rush when you beat somebody good, when you win a match, you win a basketball game, you win a football game against an opponent who was worthy. Who, I mean, all opponents are worthy, but opponent who necessarily you didn't pushes you, yeah, who pushes you to a limit. I think that. That is something that I'm proud of. Yeah, I think that goes for like any sports or any athletes. You know, yeah. if you play someone who's like not that great and you can easily beat them, like sure that feels fine. But when you beat someone who is really competitive as well mm-hmm. or the same level as you were above you, then I think that's like a whole nother feeling. Right. I agree a hundred percent. And I yeah. also had um I also played doubles as well. And I think We've had me and my doubles partner throughout college. We've had some really good wins against great teams. Mm-hmm. I remember we beat like we beat uh, a team from the Naval Academy, and yeah. that was an excellent win for us. <laughs> and we pulled it together somehow, and we really did. And if you knew that uh, me and my doubles partner, we have a history, and I, I think what was one of my most proud things in college of how we were were able to come together at the end. And, you know, it was definitely a really rocky, rocky start um, Mm. at the beginning between us, but coming together at the end to like finish business, you know, we found a way to make it work. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So I know like me knowing you personally, I know how, your freshman year, you weren't as close with your team, but then as time went on, you kind of initiated that cohesiveness between the team, and um, you even became captain your junior and senior year on the team. Yeah, so um, I think me going in, honestly, my attitude going into college was not even the best, really, I would say. Mm -hmm. It was very... um, okay, I'm doing this. And I thought I played at the top half of my lineup my freshman year. And in my opinion, before coming into the school, I um, automatically thought that I was like the best player there. And I was like, yeah. oh, you know, um, this shouldn't be any problem. And then I had like one of the worst seasons, like I feel like ever. <laughs> and it was, it was tough. It was really tough. Um, to be on a team where you were not only going through so many things outside of the tennis court, but not doing well on the tennis court. The tennis court didn't feel like my home and my team didn't feel like a support system. So it was a very lonely experience for me. Um, And I think some of it has to do with the leadership that was on the team at the time. And I personally felt I was not being accepted for who I was and I didn't like that feeling coming in freshman year but I don't think they're they have anything to do with how I performed really I think maybe a little bit but not that was a personal thing of how I was performing okay, um, gotcha. and then um, when you go to my sophomore year my coach makes the decision to take me out the lineup and I didn't necessarily agree with that decision but yeah. I, um, you know, I, it was a lot of emotions because also you have to remember in high school that I played as I played too. I had an undefeated season, one of my years in high school, and I had never had that feeling that, 
oh, I'm on the outskirt looking in. And I had to change my mindset complete, um, completely. I call it like my ego death. Mm-hmm. Um, so when a bad situation happens, it is our unfavorable situation. I think it's normal to have a lot of different emotions. I remember feeling angry, hurt. Um, I felt stupid. Um, I felt like I wasn't good enough. Uh, I kind of, I told you this, but I wrote like a, I, a fuck you letter to myself <laughs> as well as to other people too. Yeah. And I kind of just, for me, that was like a cathart, uh, cathartic experience where I was able to get out all my emotions, everything that I was feeling and understand, you know, do some work on, you know, this is not one, it's not healthy to feel like this, but also like yeah. now that it's released into the atmosphere, you need to not feel like this again. And what am I going to do? So one of my things was like focusing on being a teammate. Um, for me, that was just, you know, still supporting my team at a level that, you know, at a very high level, but also working on myself in my off time. So I, that's when I started therapy. That's when I started my meditations, my introspections. And that's also when I would come to practice with an intentional goal every day. Um, I talk mm-hmm. a lot about goal setting and how it's affected my life. But when you really sit down with yourself and you set goals that are not lofty, and what I mean by that is that goals that are, you know, everybody wants to be on top. Everybody wants to be rich. Everybody wants this and that and the third. But what are the little things that get you there? Or what are the things that can progress you towards your main goals? And it's work. It is work. And it's not going to come easy. And there is nobody to blame in any situation. Um, And I think even blaming yourself can be dangerous, too. So, you know, really understanding what you're feeling at every step of the way. I call it having that emotional intelligence to read into other people's feelings, but read into yours as well. And I just started trying to develop myself on and off the court. I remember that summer, uh, too, that I didn't necessarily have to do this. And a lot of college athletes, depending on their level especially, they don't necessarily train as hard as they should. Um, Mm when it's summertime and I was focused on my training. I didn't really do that. Anything that summer It was a dead summer for me, but it was just a summer where I was like, okay, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go play these matches every day. I went to this place where I was playing, you know, decent to good, um, solid 16 year old girls, you know, and that allowed me to like, really focus on developing my match skills as well so that when I came back my junior fall that I had a refreshed perspective I knew that there was a large freshman class coming in of five freshmen I knew everybody wanted to play everybody always wants to play um but also understanding like okay I want to be a good good teammate and thank god I was also awarded the privilege of being a captain, but I want to be a good captain as well. So how can I make these girls feel comfortable and how can I, um, we all develop a relationship, but also inspire that competitive, competitive environment. So, um, there was at the time 13 girls on the team and I worked hard enough. I feel like my fall results showed, showed as well as my hard work and practice where I was back in the lineup and I was also in a position where I could shape the team as well. I was respected on the team. And I think Mm -hmm. being captain is hard because you're trying to juggle so many different personalities and everyone has opinions. Um, But I will say this one thing about me, regardless of how people feel about me as a personal friend, uh, as I feel that um, as a captain, that I felt like my team trusted me. I feel like they respected me. I feel like they, knew that if they had an issue that they could come to me, whether that was an issue that was had to involving tennis or not. Um, I focused on goal setting with my team. I wanted my team to be the best that they can be because these girls, they're all worthy of playing just like me. They all deserve to play. 
And they all are people that I respect too as tennis players. So I want them to be at their best so that I'm at my best, you know, pushing myself competitively. So trying to understand what they wanted to get accomplished, whether if they were in the lineup, if they were not in the lineup, understanding Mm -hmm. the many goals of what they wanted to work on, and then understanding any problems that they felt like were hindering them, such as problems with maybe people on the team, um, the team culture environment. And I really try to foster an environment where I thought was safe and where people cared and loved each other so that we understood that moving forward, we were going to keep this in, we were going to keep this team culture. We were not going to go back to that toxic team culture of every man for themselves, but we were going to elevate ourselves so that we can compete better. Cause especially in collegiate sports, it's not just about you. It's about your yeah. entire team. And if everyone is not on the same page, it's going to show on the court. So that was one thing that I really put my focus into. And I think I successfully achieved. Yeah. I think that's awesome. How, I guess like being like not being on the lineup and really taking that time to focus on yourself and improving yourself, um, coming back and then becoming captain and being able to bring that knowledge that you learned throughout that time and then really making an impact on the team that I think will definitely last further, like beyond you graduating now because the younger players are going to continue that on. Right, exactly. And that is my hope. I feel like every the people who are there now, I feel like people do have leadership capabilities. And I only hope that they continue to capitalize on the things that I've created, but create new spaces and new opportunities for the people coming in, because that competitive culture needs to exist. It has to. Um, And that caring, that caring competitive culture has to exist. It can't just be a fight to the death. It's not about that. It's about accomplishing things together in the best way mm-hmm. possible. And that's everyone at their best. And what's really interesting to me is you were telling me how there's six girls that play the whole season. They're on the lineup and there's 14 girls on the team. Yeah. So there's yeah. eight people who just don't play at all. Yeah. Um, but they still are providing value to the team. Right. And I think, well, I want to clarify this too, that uh, each Mm -hmm. collegiate tennis program is different. That's just the way my coach has decided to do things. Um, And, you know, each team carries a lot of, you know, might carry way significantly less or more. Um, But we do have a large, a very large tennis team to be this sport. Um, And I think, they add value in, I think, some of the harder harder workers. And when I think about my team, like, when I think about specific people, like, they're not necessarily playing, but they're dedicated. And they work harder than maybe people in the lineup. And it's not a knock towards people in the lineup. It's just, wow, that person is really pushing themselves so that I know that when I practice with them, I'm going to get a good quality practice. I know yeah. that they're going to hold me accountable. I know that they're going to hold other people accountable. Um, People bring different perspective to the team that's never been seen. There are some people that are very calm and collected on the court. Um, That is something that all of us need, you know, different, Mm -hmm. different things. I will say that, like, I feel like um, understanding the game, um, understanding different aspects of the game or maybe just being able to communicate well with um, your other teammates. That is something other people do more effectively um, that are not necessarily in the lineup. And those are all important for everyone to develop and grow in a way that's positive during their college experience. That definitely makes sense. So me knowing you, I've all these years, I've seen you to be a very like confident person, very outgoing. Um, how has tennis perhaps added to your confidence or maybe even not helped your confidence and lowered it? I think um, I think when I was younger, I did too much of a compar- uh, comparison between people. And I think that's mm-hmm. 
one thing tennis did because tennis is like based on rankings. It's based on, right. you know, who, what coach perceives one person to be good or one person not to be good. So when I was younger, I used to internalize that a lot, uh-huh. especially because I trained with a lot of people who are very good tennis players or I went to school with them or anything. Um, right. Who are at top programs now who are at um, high level conferences. So when you're training with people and you feel like, wow, they're doing things right. It makes you think like, okay, I want, you know, you want to, you want to do things right too, but it makes you think, oh, you're constantly comparing yourself to who they are and who you are. I think that's the wrong mindset to go about it. That really uh, confidence and success has everything to do with you. There's always going to be somebody who is, you know, naturally more talented. And mm-hmm. that's something you nec- you have to reconcile with that, okay, there are other people out here who can play just as well or even better, but that has nothing to do with me, really. And I think as I got older, especially in learning through my tennis career, but learning also through other life experiences, that it is really everything that I do is about me. Um, it has nothing to do with me comparing to people. And that's a dangerous, a very dangerous mindset to get into. And it fosters yeah. jealousy. And I'm, I talked about this earlier, but when you're on operating on levels of fear, jealousy, anger, hate, when you're fostering that in your mind, you cannot, you will not accomplish what you're setting out to accomplish because you're not on the mindset. You're not on the level. We talk about levels. Um, you're not on the level to do that. You have to be at a level where you're you're at peace with yourself. You're um, operating on love and kindness and goodness and honesty and fairness. And you can still do operate on that level and be a fierce competitor. It's not just, it's not, people like to associate that with weakness or docility. It's not um, understanding who you are as a person And you can only understand who you are as a person when you understand the emotions you're feeling. Um, That that allows you to do things you never sought out to do. And I think that has helped my confidence tremendously. Understanding that, Alex, there are so many great qualities about you. So many. And recognizing those and then capitalizing on those. So one thing that I do to capitalize is that I kind of reset my goals, my life goals, like every six months. And I'm looking to kind of shorten that too. But um, I'll talk about an experience that I had. Um, yeah. And in June of last year, I, okay, so I was interning at Morgan Stanley this year, um, this past summer, I mean. And yeah. that was a great experience for me, lurk, working at one of the largest investment banks, um, understanding even on an operational level, the business. And I kind of was honing in on what I want to do afterwards and not just taking that experience for granted. Um, so one of the things that I I did was that I started writing down goals of, you know, what I wanted after college, like uh, professional goals. So one of the things is that I, I told myself that I want this type of job and this type of business. And I listed companies. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I dated that paper. And I used to look at the paper every day before I went into work, before I did things, I would put the paper underneath my pillow and sleep on it. Um, <laughs> literally. And at the, it was a long time coming. Um, but for example, I received an offer from one of the companies that I had wrote on the, that paper And that company that offered me, and I was like, wow, I really did that. Even when there's not resources necessarily available for um, that company at my school, I'll just uh, speak on the company um, for a second. So the company was Deloitte. I got an offer from, I was very shocked because it was something that I had thought about for months at this point, but also 
something that kind of just happened organically and helped happen through my confidence to be able to speak to people. So that offer, that um, entire process actually had began even before the Morgan Stanley internships in March of 2019. And I had went to a, I went to a club, a club meeting at our school um, where we talked to past alumni and it was a recent alumni graduated who, who graduated maybe in 2016, I want to say 2015 at the very latest. And um, he, you know, I just introduced myself, kind of told him a little bit about myself and kept it pushing. But I think me keeping in contact with him and then him connecting me to other people and then him, that person connecting to me to a recruiter who originally first said that we don't recruit people from Loyola for um, consulting we don't yeah <laughs> and I had to explain to them having that confidence I remember what I said I said you know I may not attend Vanderbilt or University of Tennessee or some I don't know some school that's larger and maybe um, a little bit more well-known than my school even though I feel like yeah. my school's an excellent school um, that I I am a leader you can look I may not, I have, not only do I have a 4.0 GPA, like those people you're looking for at those other schools, but I'm a leader. And this is what I have done on my campus. This is what I have done throughout my life. And I have the, I have that capability. And just me saying that me getting an opportunity to interview and me letting my personality speak out, me being honest, um, gave me that opportunity to October in October to get an offer when no one else did. And I think, you know, speaking back to that manifestation piece is that you have to really believe what you're saying out in the air. Your tongue is a very powerful thing. And when you're speaking on things that are negative and just dysfunctional, that that's what you're manifesting. And when you're manifesting positivity, that's because you're believing it, you're writing it down and you're thinking about it constantly. And that's that's what I really learned from that experience. Yeah, I think that's a really neat story and like how you were able to be very consistent and push yourself, um, even when the recruiter flat out said they don't take anyone from Loyola. Um, And I don't know if you want to bring this up, but you didn't end up accepting that offer. You went with something else. Yeah. Which I think is also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. (laughs) yeah um it's funny how things are put into your life because um I was blessed enough to receive three different job offers and from three well-established great companies all doing kind of different things Mm. um and the company I did decide to is an executive compensation firm consulting firm in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I remember when I applied, I, even that I was kind of just like, cause at that time Deloitte didn't seem necessarily serious about me. So I just started thinking, okay, what are my other options, Alex? And I contacted um, their talent acquisition director from on LinkedIn. And I just introduced myself, you know, and explained of not, I want a job, but I just want to learn more about the company itself and I remember having a 15-minute phone call with um, one of the people in HR and then moving forward and I was having my next interview and I was going through the interview process and I was like wow this is a lot of work this is a difficult interview but I'm making it and then I got flown out to Los Angeles in October like early October and it was um, it was a great experience. I had an eight hour interview, yeah. which is insane. <laughs> I feel like um, yeah, to be there eight hours in a day, but it was a full super day. Um, and I just remember, you know, just trying to be myself, trying to uh, be a person who is positive throughout the entire situation. And if I didn't know something, I wasn't trying to fake it. I was just trying to be. Um, confident and Mm. I think that sold myself maybe a little bit more than my actual uh, technical skills Uh, and I think 
at the end of it, when I was deciding, okay, wow, now I have three amazing job offers. Um, which one do I want? And I saw that experience. I was like, I'm so grateful. I got the Deloitte one and it was very tough decision. It took me a month to decide, but I was like, I want to try something different. And I feel like going to Los Angeles would be different. It's something I never experienced before. And Mm -hmm. recognizing that if, you know, I think people, you can't be, this goes right back into like earlier, the fear of failure that recognizing that if it doesn't work out, listen, Deloitte liked you once, they'll like you again. They will. Yeah. At some point in your life. And, you know, opportunities, there are, it is true that opportunities, some only come once. There, there are only some that come once, but understanding that as long as you keep a level head and a level heart that I feel like there is no wrong that you can necessarily do and letting that inner you kind of guide your guide your experience yeah and I I do want to mention that like being business students um at least at my school like the big four is pushed so much um yeah so when you do get a big four offer it's almost like you have to take it but you know because of like the I guess not the fame but like um the name the, the brand name that comes with it you know Right, Um, right. It's very easy to be like, oh, I really need to take this big four offer because even if I don't stay here forever, like this is going to open up so many doors for me. And I remember talking to you about your three offers um, and talking about how, you know, if you were able to get Deloitte once and you were able to like really talk yourself into into that, um, like you could do it again. So like, I remember saying, like, don't worry about not having that brand name because, like, me knowing you and your personality, like, I feel like you could get anything if you, again, like, manifested it or Mm -hmm. really worked hard to get there. Like, I feel like there's nothing stopping you. Yeah. Because of your leadership qualities. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I, I, I agree. Like, I think there's nothing stopping anyone, for that matter, from, like, realizing um potential and potential yeah. success and I think it's it definitely takes courage to decline like a great offer yeah. I mean they're all great offers of course but like decline like a brand name offer and go with something else because at the end of the day like it's more important to be happy where you are and try new things and if that's like where you're meant to be right now then that's great and then you know whatever the future holds for you, you'll go do that. Right. I completely agree. 100%. So how we've talked a lot about like confidence and manifesting goals. Um, and I think another big part of confidence um, is like vulnerability and like, how does that tie in for you? Mm-hmm. I agree that vulnerability is something that it's, it's uncomfortable to learn. It's uncomfortable to understand. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of experts out there who speak on vulnerability and its impact. And especially, you know, like you said earlier, that we're business majors and things, I don't know, for whatever reason, that it's seen as a weakness and it's completely not. Um, When I think about some of my own, just like, when I, for example, I was, I had a privilege of attending the United States Naval Leadership Conference, which is like an, um, mostly athletes, um, or leaders from university are selected, um, nominated and selected to go to this conference. And at the conference, they have amazing people speaking, people who are well-established either in the military, they had astronauts, they had um, the head of talent at LinkedIn, um, the CEO of Booz Allen Hamilton, Michael Bloomberg. And these are people who we got to hear them speak, but also ask questions as well in intimate yeah. settings. And I think one thing I took away from that is that, you know, a leader is a person who is empathetic, is a person who 
um, who is shooting for how can we achieve our goal with a level of compassion behind it. Um, we have a team behind us. There's a lot of gems I took away from that. And I think mostly that when you're leading with compassion and empathy, that you have to be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable with yourself. And what I mean by being vulnerable with ourselves is that we're all experience. We have all, the human experience is one of triumph and tra- trauma. And there have been traumatic experiences in my life. There's been traumatic experiences in almost everyone's life. And some people are dealt some way tougher hands than I can ever imagine. Um, Things that I couldn't even Mm -hmm. fathom going through. And they come out on top. They come out strong. And I think that it's a common narrative in this world that, oh, we're all, we're by ourselves you know, whatever, um, this is not a team effort when in reality, like we thrive better as a community. Um, and I think understanding your community's vulnerabilities, whether they just be, uh, systematic or just understanding individuals in your community's vulnerabilities. Um, and I think that process of being uncomfortable with the things that hurt you Um, But then taking that pain and being able to tell your story, being able to express yourself, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes allows you to get way further relationship-wise than anybody could by just trying to come in like they knew it all. Because the reality is that we don't know it all. We have been through things those things have impacted our behavior, sometimes negatively, but when you're vulnerable with yourself, you're able to be honest with what are the things that I do that are kind of messed up? Um, And what are the things that I do that are kind of good? And how can I turn the messed up things to the good things so that I can intensely work as a human being to be a better human being to other people? I think that's so forgotten in our society. And especially, you know, we're in this um, pandemic right now. And I hear a lot of people talk about this and that and on a very like selfish letter um, level, I mean. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there has been like some scrutiny from from politicians uh, speaking. So I guess it seems so um, uncompassionate towards the people who may have passed in this pandemic, as well as the people who are being um, negatively affected, either they don't have work, they don't have food, things that are threatening people's survival and their very existence as a human being. And when you can't put yourself in any level in somebody else's shoes that are experiencing something negative and traumatic, I think that's when you have to go back and reflect on who you are as a person. And that only requires that requires vulnerability and honesty it allows you to be more honest people appreciate honesty they appreciate that compassion um and i think it gets us further in life than yeah being evil honest or not evil just being careless with our thoughts yeah you know and i think this is something you brought up earlier almost kind of reminded me of how important it is to move forward, move forward and let go and forgive, whether it be to yourself or to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel I, like that's so overlooked. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree that um, forgiveness is a, it's a process. There, there are certain things, and like I, I keep on saying this earlier, but sometimes when things happen to us, it's easy to blame other people. Or blame ourselves or blame whoever, blame God, blame ourselves. And you got to take that attitude just away, um, away from, away from yourself. And I think when you start to forgive yourself for the things that you cannot change and you forgive other people for the harm that they may have done to you, but you also cannot change. And I heard this quote once is that um, forgiveness is letting go of the hope that the past can be different. Because yeah, the past is the past. Yeah. And the past 
is in, in the past you can't change that but you can you can change how your future is being and life right. in general sports life anything that happens mostly it's not about the actual reality of the situation of what happens to you it's about how you react to that situation and i think mm. it's you know i will say and i will i will say that when I'm speaking from a place of privilege of where, you know, I haven't had like a hurdle of things happen to me at once. And I think it's, um, it's harder. It is a harder and much tougher experience to forgive when a lot of things are happening at once that are traumatic or bad or unfavorable. And it, it does happen to people where all, a lot of different things happen at most at once. And I think it's harder to process your emotions to understand you know, why I, you should even forgive in the first place. And I've heard this a lot that people say that some things are unforgivable. And I, I truly believe that nothing is unforgivable, that Mm -hmm. this idea of closure, this idea of punishment, this idea of, um, you know, fixing what cannot be fixed. It really has to do with yourself and reconciling with yourself that, I understand that this is painful, that this hurts, that someone may have hurt me in a way that is, seems like it is so evil that it cannot, it's breaking me. But seeking out that help, if you can't do it yourself, but seeking out that help from a friend, a family member, a religious leader, anybody, yourself, got meditation, seeking out that help in any way, fashion or form is just the first step to forgiveness. And then, you know, it is a process and there are some things that happen that seem unforgivable, but noticing that, you know, it this too will pass, that everything yeah. that happens, it, it will pass. It is not permanent and it shouldn't be because of the lack of permanency, it shouldn't be permanent on your soul, you know? Right. And for me, like forgiveness is something that I I think I'm definitely still working on as well. Mm -hmm. But I will say like being very introspective and reflecting on your feelings helps a lot. Like helps you kind of see the bigger picture of things and put things into different perspectives rather than just ranting on about it, you know? Right, exactly. And it's, it's, it's definitely like I keep saying, it's so difficult sometimes because yeah. Especially if you feel like you're in the right and sometimes you didn't do anything at all and yeah. still shit happened to you. But you're, you know, I think it's a huge process. I don't think anyone has mastered it. I don't know yeah. anyone personally that has mastered it. But even just working on it is saying enough that you're looking to be the type of person who you want to be. You know, I think it really does speak volumes. Yeah, I would say like, Honestly, one of the only people who I know who probably has, you know, maybe like not even completely, but like is at that level of mastering it is like my grandmother, like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. someone who just has a, had a lot of experience, who has seen a lot of things in life. And I, I think that like that, just you know, it's just like something that comes with age and more experiences and thinking about things you know yeah I completely agree like our life is such a journey and not everything's gonna come in one day exactly and I think yeah like I know from what you told me about your grandmother that she seems like a person who is really understanding of you Mm -hmm. um and I know like you know that when you were in high school at least that you didn't necessarily feel understood by all your family members, like at all different times or even by like certain different people. And I feel like she was always that person for you, at least that, you know, you could connect to at any level. Yeah, for sure. And she just has such a common demeanor. It's so Mm -hmm. easy to talk to her too. Right. Um, But yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, So I guess our closing off question can be what is the number one thing that you want in your life? Like what's the one thing that you strive to have? 
I think it's peace. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, being at peace means that I'm happy with who I am and I'm happy with life. And it's not, the happiness is not, oh, everything's going right in my life. It's when things are going wrong. How, how am I still, <laughs> how do I still feel about myself? Um, yeah. One of the things that I've been working on myself uh, to kind of help me get my peace is my defensiveness. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I, I do think I'm a defensive person and I think I perceive criticism or as a threat. And that is something that I think is an ugly trait and it's something I don't want to have anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, you know, all the time about, you know, how I may have treated people, how I have treated people, um, whether it was right or wrong. And I think there is really no necessity of, you know, being that person who's hateful with their tongue, hateful with maybe their actions um, in any way, shape or form. And there are some things that I regret. And I feel like it was because I was on the defense. You know, I want to be I want to be a person who speaks light. I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I'm at the at where I'm always kind. I'm always the light. I'm always the love. But I think working on this will allow me um, to one process some emotional, emotional things I have, I think. I think, for example, like some normalized behaviors that may have been in my household um, mm-hmm. of how how you communicate with people, what's the proper way of communicating with people. I think reconcile, forgiving both myself, my parents, but also understanding where they came from um, might allow me to dig deeper into the motives of me being defensive, but also like how can I work on that? And right. I think it only takes us. It's not, you don't work on things when nothing's happening. That doesn't make any sense. You work on things when you're put in situations where you have the opportunity to be defensive or you may have been defensive in the past, but how do I, how do I move forward? And I'm still trying to figure that out, but I think I've already made the first steps of recognizing the behavior. And now I'm more cognizant of what I say to people what I say in the moment and also doing that emotional check-in with myself in the moment um I really think emotional intelligence is one of the best forms of intelligence you could have um and I think that um me understanding myself better will allow me to eradicate that defensive behavior in any situation Yeah. And I think like self-reflection, like recognizing your personality and your behaviors, your flaws, um, like this goes for everyone. I think that helps immensely Mm -hmm. with improving yourself. Um, And that really is like the first step, even just knowing that you do something a lot and knowing that you want to change it. Even just having that thought in the back of your head at all times can do (laughs) much. (laughs) Exactly. Your subconscious influences your conscious behavior. So like if you're, if you know it, if it's in the back of your head, that means it's already influencing how you act in person, in reality, you know? Yeah. And I think, so like there's definitely like many aspects of my life where I could apply this to, but at a certain point, in time like I realized how critical I was and you know I'm more aware of like my overthinking um at times when I used to be judgmental like once I started thinking about oh like Arushi you you do this you know right um then even just like having that in the back of my head like as I like a few years later now like especially in terms of like being critical and judgmental of certain situations like I definitely like don't always think that way initially anymore and I and that's only that truly is due to me just being aware of it I think like I didn't really do anything else you know yeah no I definitely think from 
I know exactly what you're talking about. And I feel like you personally, yeah, you have been less critical of yourself, of others, and it really opened up doors for you, honestly. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you. I hope to see you soon after all this I know. coronavirus stuff is over. It's crazy that you're finally in town. We're both in town at the same time, but we can't see each other. Exactly. <laughs> because that we go funny. months without seeing each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the one thing about our friendship, I will say. Like, I've never... I feel like we've, we've really... Um, what is it? What's the word? We've gotten really good at this long distance friendship thing. Yes, yes, we have for sure. Like, I'm not worried at all. Like, you're moving to New York and I'm not worried. We're going to be at two opposite ends of the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so we can't be together in New York or something, but um, we'll definitely come visit each other. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, right, thanks then. so much again. Okay. Okay. Bye, Rishi. Bye. So thanks, Alex, again for being on the podcast with me. I really enjoyed our conversation and how deep we got to get, we got to go. Um, And thank you to everyone who listened in on this podcast. So be sure to give at Real Lives Real People a follow on Instagram. It's it's the perfect way to keep up with upcoming episodes and be able to put faces to the names that I speak to on here. And as always, feel free to message me with any feedback or ideas you have. And be sure to check out the last few episodes if you haven't already. And I will see you guys in two weeks time and have a good week.